Good evening and welcome back to Amanda here on CQT 90.3 FM here in Montreal, cqt.ca around the world. And to remind you about our blog where we post the best of Amandla, please do check out cqt.ca slash Amandla. Many of us around the world woke up to the shocking and deeply sad news that the beloved Kenyan writer, LGBTQ activist, mentor, and so much more, Binya Vanga Wainena died this morning. He was 48. He's been referred to as an audacious writer, a literary icon, fearless, a bold voice, unapologetic. His fellow Kenyan writer, Nanjala Niabola, wrote this, this this morning. To me, his most important legacy isn't even the writing per se. It's that he made room. He published us, invited us into the platforms, shouted down the walls of Jericho. Binyavenga was the recipient of the Kane Prize for African Writing in 2002. Prize chairperson Ella Wakatama Alfrey remembered him this way today. Binyavenga was unbound in his imagining, reminding us with art and characteristic playfulness what English can look like with, when it's an African language. Unflagging in his generosity, unflinching and direct in his criticism, he produced work in his short life that will have impact longer lasting than those whose time here is twice as long. On a deeply personal level, and as one who acknowledges the wings he gave to a generation of writers, I am bereft. We'll play a full tribute to Binyavenga next week on the show, but in the meantime, check out some of his writing, Discovering Home, his parody, How to Write About Africa, and I Am a Homosexual Mum, in which he imagined coming out to his late mother, an essay he courageously penned in the wake of the criminalization of homosexuality in several African countries. In a bizarre twist of fate, Kenya's highest court is expected to hand down a ruling this Friday on whether to decriminalize homosexuality. Binyavenga, you will be truly missed. So I have sitting in the studio with me right now Zara Malou. I had promised this last week because I did pay tribute to Binyavenga Wainena last week. But what we did not have an opportunity to do was to actually do a reading of his work because he had died the morning of our show and we wanted to pay proper respect and uh, expose some of our listeners to some of his writings and thoughts and reflections. So um, welcome back to the studio, Zara. Thank you. So what did you choose to read? Oh, well, there's, there, I, I basically chose to write, to read the piece that he's most known for, which is how to write about Africa. Okay, So very I'll nice. just uh, do a reading. It's, um, yeah, it's not very long, but it's sort of, uh, it became a very uh, known piece in terms of, you know, it's quite satirical and... and uh, very aligned with Amandla's <laughs> values, I hope, anyway. <laughs> yeah, and I guess speaks to the kind of writing that often comes out of Africa, or mm -hmm. comes out of people writing about Africa, mm -hmm. particularly those who are not from there. So, yes. So, always use the word Africa or darkness or safari in your title. Subtitles may include the words Zanzibar, Maasai, Zulu, Zambezi, Congo, Nile, Big, Sky, Shadow, Drum, Sun, or Bygone. Also useful are the words such as guerrillas, timeless, primordial, and tribal. Note that people means Africans who are not black, while the people means black Africans. 
Never have a picture of a well-adjusted African on the cover of your book or in it unless that African has won the Nobel Prize. An AK-47, prominent ribs, naked breasts, use these. If you must include an African, if you must include an African, make sure you get one in Maasai or Zulu or Dogon dress. In your text, treat Africa as if it were one country. It is hot and dusty with rolling grasslands and huge herds of animals and tall, thin people who are starving. Or it is hot and steamy with very short people who eat primates. Don't get bogged down with precise descriptions. Africa is big, 54 countries, 900 million people who are too busy starving and dying and warring and emigrating to read your book. The continent is full of deserts, jungles, highlands, savannas, and many other things, but your reader doesn't care about all that. So keep your descriptions romantic and evocative and unparticular. Make sure you show how Africans have music and rhythm deep in their souls and eat things no other humans eat. Do not mention rice and beef and wheat. Monkey brain is an African's cuisine of choice, along with goat, snake, worms and grubs and all manner of game meat. Make sure you show that you are able to eat such food without flinching and describe how you learn to enjoy it because you care. Taboo subjects, ordinary domestic scenes, love between Africans unless a death is involved, references to African writers or intellectuals, mention of school-going children who are not suffering from yours or Ebola fever or female genital mutilation. Throughout the book, adopt a Soto voice in conspiracy with the reader and a sad, I expected so much tone. Establish early on that your liberalism is impeccable and mention near the beginning how much you love Africa, how you fell in love with the place and can't live without her. Africa is the only continent you can love. Take advantage of this. If you are a man, thrust yourself into her warm virgin forests. If you're a woman, treat Africa as a man who wears a bush jacket and disappears off into the sunset. Africa is to be pitied, worshipped or dominated. Whichever angle you take, be sure to leave the strong impression that without your intervention and your important book, Africa is doomed. Your African characters may include naked warriors, loyal servants, diviners and seers, ancient wise men living in hermetic splendor, or corrupt politicians, inept polygamous travel guides, and prostitutes you have slept with. The loyal servant always behaves like a seven-year-old and needs a firm hand. He is scared of snakes, good with children, and always involving you in his complex domestic dramas. The ancient wise man always comes from a noble, from a noble tribe, not the money-grubbing tribes like the Kikuyu, the Ibo, or the Shona. He has roomy eyes and is close to the earth. The modern African is a fat man who steals and works in the visa office, refusing to give work permits to qualified Westerners who really care about Africa. He is an enemy of development, always using his government job to make it difficult for pragmatic and young-hearted expats to set up NGOs or legal conservation areas. Or he is an Oxford-educated intellectual-turned-serial-killing politician in a Savile Row suit. He is a cannibal who likes crystal champagne and his mother is a rich witch doctor who really runs the country. Among your characters, you must always include the starving African, who wanders the refugee camp nearly naked and waits for the benevolence of the West. Her children, her children have flies on their eyelids and pot bellies, and her breasts are flat and empty. She must look utterly helpless. She can have no past, no history. Such diversions ruin the dramatic moment. Moans are good. She must never say anything about herself in the dialogue except to speak of her unspeakable suffering. Also be sure to include a warm and motherly woman who has, a who has a rolling laugh and who is concerned for your well-being. Just call her mama. 
Her children are all delinquent. These characters should buzz about your main hero, making him look good. Your hero can teach them, bathe them, feed them. He carries lots of babies and has seen death. Your hero is you, if reportage, or a beautiful, tragic international celebrity or aristocrat who now cares for animals, if fiction. <laughs> Bad Western characters may include children of Tory cabinet ministers, Afrikaners, employees of the World Bank. When talking about exploitation by foreigners, mention the Chinese and Indian traders. Blame the West for Africa's situation, but do not be too specific. Broad brush strokes throughout are good. Avoid having the African characters laugh or struggle to educate their kids or just make do in mundane circumstances. Have them illuminate something about Europe or America in Africa. African characters should be colorful, exotic, larger than life, but empty inside with no dialogue, no conflicts or resolutions in their stories. No, no depths or quirks to confuse the cause. Describe in detail naked breasts, young, old, conservative, recently raped, big, small, or mutilated genitals, or enhanced genitals, or any kind of genitals, and dead bodies, or better, naked dead bodies, and especially rotting naked dead bodies. Remember, any work you submit in which people look filthy and miserable will be referred to as the real Africa, and you want that on your dust jacket. Do not feel queasy about this. You are trying to help them get aid from the West. The biggest taboo is writing about in writing about Africa is to describe or show dead or suffering white people. Animals, on the other hand, must be treated as well-rounded, complex characters. They speak or grunt while tossing their manes proudly and have names, ambitions, and desires. They also have family values. See how lions teach their children? Elephants are caring and are good feminists or dignified patriarchs. So are gorillas. Never ever say anything negative about an elephant or a gorilla. Elephants may attack people's property, destroy their crops, and even kill them. Always take the side of the elephant. Big cats have public school accents. Hyenas are fair game and have vaguely Middle Eastern accents. Any short Africans who live in the jungle or desert may be portrayed with good humor unless they are in conflict with an elephant or a chimpanzee or a gorilla, in which case they are pure evil. After celebrity activists and aid workers, conservationists are Africa's most important people. Do not offend them. You need them to invite you to their 30,000 acre game ranch or conservation area, and this is the only way you will get to interview the celebrity activist. Often a book cover with a heroic looking conservationist on it works, on it works magic for sales. Anybody white, tanned and wearing khaki who once had a pet antelope or a farm is a conservationist, one who is preserving Africa's rich heritage. When interviewing him or her, do not ask how much funding they have, do not ask how much money they make off their game, never ask how much they pay their employees. Readers will be put off if you don't mention the light in Africa and sunsets. The African sunset is a must. It is always big and red. There is always a big sky. Wide empty spaces and game are critical. Africa is a land of wide empty spaces. When writing about the plight of flora and fauna, make sure you mention that Africa is overpopulated. When your main character is in a desert or jungle living with indigenous peoples, anybody short, it is okay to mention that Africa has been severely depopulated by war and AIDS. Use capsock. You'll also need a nightclub called Tropicana where mercenaries, evil nouveau rich Africans, and prostitutes and gorillas and expats hang out. Always end your book with Nelson Mandela saying something about rainbows or renaissances, because you care. Hmm. Wow. 
Binyavanga Wainena. So yes, he nails it completely. It's an amazing, absolutely amazing essay, and just uh, just the smallest kind of insight into who the man was. Thank you so much, Sarah, for reading that. And um, I'd encourage our listeners to go and explore some of her his other writings. Um, I don't know. I have a little bit of a kind of a personal anecdote. I, you know, I never met him. We have no personal connection. But uh, five years ago, I was asked by my brother-in-law, who's a fine arts teacher at Dawson College here in Montreal, if I wanted to participate in a multidisciplinary um, exhibition. The theme was collisions. So that was it. And I thought, I thought about it. I thought, yeah, because through collision... Collision to me implied uh, a breaking apart of something and potentially the growth of something else. So in my mind, I thought I'm going to take five people or groups around the world and I'm going to look at how collision broke apart something that was oppressive and painful and violent and opened up the opportunity for something new. So in the five writings that I did for this, one of them was on Binyavenga. And what was really nice about the project is uh, Frank Mulvey, the curator of this exhibition, um, had five of his students illustrate each of my essays, including the one about Binyavanga. So I thought tonight, it's too bad because I had a catalog where the artist, the young artist who illustrated the Binyavanga thing, uh, uh, entry, um, wrote me a comment in the catalog, but I have since somewhere, I couldn't find it. It was just an amazing insight that he had. But what I thought I would do tonight just to wrap up this tribute to him is just read uh, my thoughts about it five years ago in terms of where he was at in his trajectory and uh, why it was important to the world. So this is what I wrote. In an act of outrage defiance, Binyavanga Wainena came out of the closet. Was it the recent criminalization of homosexuality in Nigeria or Uganda's efforts to make it an executable offense? Was it the fact that homosexuality is illegal in 38 African states? Perhaps it was the death of a gay friend whose family was then forced to leave their church. Or could it have been the Sochi Olympics putting homophobia on the podium? It was all of this for the celebrated Kenyan writer who had kept his sexuality secret for 43 years. It was too late to tell his mother in person, so he told her posthumously, along with the rest of the world, in his essay, I am a homosexual mom. A courageous move in a mood so decidedly ugly. And then, so that's my little essay. And then uh, I took a quote of his where he said, Back in 2014, I'm extremely optimistic about rapid transformation and change of things in Africa in general. It's set off. It cannot stop. It's going to be turbulent. There will be dark bits and there will be bright bits, but it's a speed train. So that was my contribution. I wish I could. You know, we'll post on the blog the what the student on our blog will put the mm -hmm. the piece of art that uh, this young student, this young artist at Dawson, uh, painted to illustrate the essay. But he came up to me that night at the Valnisage, and he was a young man who had just just come out of the closet, and he said, "You've." helped to open up my world because I've gone and I've done research on Binyavanga and I'm so inspired and emboldened 
by what he did and probably never would have heard about him here in Canada if there hadn't been this opportunity at the Collisions Exhibition to not only learn about him, but then come up with an illustration. So we'll post that on our, our blog. But, you know, Binyavenga was a big, big personality, courageous person and touched a lot of people's lives. And I personally just want to say that I was very moved by him and really, really devastated last week when I heard he'd passed away. So we'll take a little musical break, and when we come back, we're going to briefly talk about Sudan. <laughs> 